you can't rewrite the Doctor Who podcast? Not one line. So here we are in the Doctor Who podcast campervan, and here we go with our review of Vincent and the Doctor. I am joined by Tom and James. Or should it be the other way around, because I'm not usually here. Anyway, welcome to the show. It's Luke here from Tmudwoop. Yes, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Doctor Who podcast. I'm joined by Tom as ever. Hello, Tom. Hello, James. And we have an interloper who gave that incredibly dynamic opening. Hello, Luke. How are you doing? I'm good, thank you. Yes. Well, first of all, first of all, I have to apologise about the state of the camper van. Um, Trev had a Marty party earlier on in the week, and whenever those two get together, it's a mess, and they simply don't clear up. So I do apologise for the state of the place. <laughs> That's okay. Well, it does rather explain why the stuff's all up the walls. Have you figured out what that is yet, Tom? It's, it's an interesting substance. Um, I, if I was being polite, I'd say it was ectoplasm. But, yeah, no. Ectoplasm. Yeah. No, that's, that makes a lot of sense. If you think about Trevor and Marty getting together, yes, okay. Anyway, we're here to discuss episode 10 of the new Matt Smith series, Vincent and the Doctor. Okay, Luke is the guest. Would you like to go first this week? Yeah, I, I, I'm quite happy to go first. I've actually got some notes this time round because <laughs> having reviewed this for Chip, I was like, I really don't know how to review things in two minutes. So I was like, I'll make lots of notes and then distill it into something. But obviously I've now got free reign to talk a little bit longer. I think I would say that um, on balance, I, I really enjoyed it. Uh, there was that certain expectation or dread, depending on what you think of Richard Curtis. Um, <laughs> I'm not familiar with that much of his work what I've seen of Blackadder I like I'm in two minds about a lot of his films uh, and I was I was kind of wondering what what is this going to be I think it was very much kind of that kind of character piece that you would expect from him trying to pull up the emotional uh, the heartstrings as it were um, and, and I, I did get vaguely emotional didn't cry but it was one of those <laughs> things where I, I, I was I was very much touched by it I think a lot of that had to do with Tony Curran's performance as Van Gogh very very sympathetic the idea that this great artist that we all we all know about was driven mad or restored to sanity by encounters with aliens and the doctor and whatever <laughs> i don't know it was it was a bit crazy um but um yeah i liked it bill nye brilliant doing his usual thing i thought he was very slarty bart first um <laughs> which actually that brings me on to a point that i made on the on the two minute time lord about echoes of city of death in this story, what with the French uh, setting, being in an art gallery, um, finding out something's going on to do with a painting, and then having to pop back in time to to meet an artist. Obviously, this time the Doctor succeeded rather than when he was Tom Baker trying to find Leonardo. So I like that. Let me see any little little bits and bobs. Invisible Monster. I mean, filming a series, you've got low budget. Uh, you've gone to a foreign country on a foreign shoot what better device can you have apart from a monster that you can't see um, and it gave the actors a, a chance to stretch their um, acting muscles it wasn't like they were 
like they usually say, oh, I, I was trying to act a, to a monster in front of a green screen. This was actually, I was trying to act to a monster that I can't actually see in the narrative. <laughs> um, and I thought that was very good. As I said before, it wasn't, it wasn't really about the monster, was it, when you think about it? Because he was dead by, I don't know, a good 12, 13 minutes before the end of the story. Mm. Um, I don't know how you guys feel about that. Well, you've covered an awful lot of very important things, to be honest, without th- even thinking too hard about it. I absolutely agree. That was a brilliant episode. To me, that's what Doctor Who is supposed to be about. It's pseudo-historical, it's educational, it's entertaining. It's almost like it fulfills the uh, entire remit of the BBC to inform, educate and entertain. I, I, I thought that was quite excellent. There are a couple of interesting themes to talk about. The theme of depression needs, you know, mm. obviously we have to talk about and the, and the idea that the monster was invisible except mm. to the person who could see it and of course to those who it affected without them understanding what was affecting them is a brilliant way of exposing the way that depression uh, works in individuals and with people I think. Doctor Who works the best when you've got a small cast telling a big story. It was certainly true in Inside the Spaceship or Edge of Destruction back in 1963 definitely the truth in Midnight when again it was a tiny cast mm. telling this huge story and when we've got effectively a, a three-hander Tell, mm. Telling this huge story about Vincent Van Gogh. Is it Van Gogh or Van Gogh? Um, <laughs> I, from from my Dutch friends, I have it on good authority. It's Van Gogh, cool. which is which is how Bill Nye's character pronounced it. And I thought, oh, they're going to get it right. And then for the rest of the episode, they went and pronounced it Van Gogh. Oh. I think from an English point of view, it just depends how much phlegm you happen to have in your throat at the time when you say it. So. <laughs> Perfect. Well, uh, well okay, for, uh, it, it was great to, to hear the story of Van Gogh. It was just the show doing what it does the best. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of uneven characterisation from the Doctor, I thought, um, from Matt Smith. Um, mm. uh, perhaps deliberately, I think you'll know where I'm talking about, that the, the way he describes Vincent when he's inside the TARDIS and then the way he describes him later on in the episode. Luke, I totally agree with you about Bill Nye. What got me in, immediately was when Matt Smith and Bill Nye were talking to each other in that early scene. How incredibly similar they look. Um, it wasn't just the way that they were dressed, but the shape of their faces, the phrasing, the, the mannerisms as well. Um, it, it's been noted by some people that Bill Nye as Dr. Black isn't actually credited in the end titles. Um, and some people are taking that as being significant of something, although I'm not I sure that it necessarily that. is. <laughs> No, me neither. <laughs> okay, sorry, it's the analysis gene kicking in again. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but, but, you know, but obviously there's lots more I'd love to say about this episode, which hopefully we'll get to later, but as far as I'm concerned, after the last two weeks' episodes, which were a retread of that wonderful Pertwee subterranean Silurian thing, this is Doctor Who being Doctor Who, glorious, wonderful ace, top marks. Hmm. Well, I don't really think I've got a terrific amount that I can add, to be honest with you. I, I, I'm in complete agreement with the pair of you, which is uh, makes for a rather boring podcast, I suppose. <laughs> but, uh, but it is actually, I think, the first time that uh, all three of us, when we've reviewed one of these things, have been absolutely categorical in our opinion. Um, and I, all, all of the things that the pair of you have mentioned, I think I've made notes of, um, you know, to varying degrees. Um, I, I don't really feel that it had the kind of edge of destruction and midnight feel to it. I understand where you're coming from, Tom, <laughs> but um, I, I, I think because this wasn't an enclosed environment or it wasn't an enclosed episode, whereas both Edge of Destruction and Midnight, um, and to some extent Amy's Choice was as well, yeah. um, this, this had the whole roving expanse of an absolutely beautiful location. Um, am I right in saying that this one was also set in... Croatia, or not set in Croatia, but it was filmed in Croatia. Yeah, 
they filmed it just up the hill from Vampires, Vampires of Venice. No, I, I thought as much. Yeah. Um, interesting to hear what you said about the Doctor's characterization because the biggest point I wanted to make about this episode is this is the episode, the very first episode this series that I really liked the Doctor. Oh. I thought he was a nice chap. I really did. Nice. And, and, and nice. Yeah. And, oh. and and the way he wanted to kind of make Van Gogh feel completely validated in his art and his work at the end of the episode, that to me didn't make me cry either, Luke, but I certainly had a lump in my throat mm. towards the end of this. Yeah. And I thought, I mean, I, th- I think you could probably tell if, if you couldn't detect it from the first 35 minutes of the episode that Richard Curtis wrote this by the way it ended and the way well, it was a multiple ending really wasn't it they said mm. goodbye to Vincent van Gogh twice mm. and the second time they did that for me it was very very poignant much much more poignant than the death of Rory I have to say oh. uh, for me Bill Knight mm. I think also was absolutely fantastic it was exactly the same as the character he portrayed in Love actually um, and again I can't possibly tell you the name of that character but it was pretty much Bill Nye acting by numbers but it was still very very mm. good and the thing that surprised me more than anything was how small a role he had because you could argue that he was you know the most well known and the most famous actor in that episode mm. and uh I just felt it was a bit of a shame. Maybe his appearance fee was linked to a number of screen minutes or something. I don't know. <laughs> um, but I would have liked to have seen more of that particular character. Right. The Invisible Monster, for me, was exclusively BBC budget cuts. Very similar, really. Um, I don't know whether or not either of the two of you have seen Confidential. Um, I haven't watched it yet, no. Uh, no, nor have I. But when, when they pulled this one before in Family of Blood and had the Invisible Spaceship... They addressed it in that confidential by saying, well, we didn't have the money. Mm. And it gives the actors an opportunity to act against something they know is invisible. Mm. So very similar to your point there, Luke, really. Yeah. Um, But we we did see enough of it on screen. I mean, obviously, it it did involve the mill building a a CGI character, making it fully animatable and doing quite a few effect shots for it. Yeah, it's a bit like a bog-off deal, isn't it? You know, you you actually got the creature on screen for double the amount of time that you actually see it, Mm. if that makes sense. And also, when you did see it, it reminded me of an extremely large chicken. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You know, I, I, I thought that might have just been me given that I'd seen Chicken Run with my daughter earlier on during the day. Um, and maybe I had chickens on the minds. But uh, yeah. it, it, it's good to hear you both say yes so emphatically straight yeah. afterwards. I, mean, I think, I think the, 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 the black and white drawing of it didn't look like that at all. But once you saw it in the flesh, as it were, with the colouring, mm. it was very much... That looks like a chicken. <laughs> it was It was a chicken. It was a chicken, I'm sure. Um, I think uh, Tony Curran, as you said, Luke, was absolutely fantastic. And his performance really was quite heartbreaking. But I think that was slightly counters. And I think this is the only bad thing for me in the entire episode. I still felt the character of Amy is so far removed from the plot line. And I just can't by her performance she seems to be very one-dimensional she uses her looks she uses her sassy way about mm. her um and that seems to be the extent of her character she's either deliberately very very shallow or they haven't given a terrific amount of thought i don't think to the way this character has been built mm. and I, I think that's a real shame because I still don't really care about her very much. I, I've, I've said before that I'm not the biggest fan of Amy Pond. 
uh, and I was beginning to warm to to her more as they developed her and Rory's relationship over the last few episodes. And I think, unfortunately, because of the death of Rory, we're now back to more of that Amy that I that I'm not a big fan of. But I think it it's necessary because of of what's happened with the plot. And obviously, you had the the occasional mentions of Rory. Mm. Obviously, Van Gogh realizes that Amy's lost someone. The Doctor accidentally mentions Rory and obviously that's going to be building up to something again in the in the finale one would assume for me it's just an unfortunate side effect of the fact that she's lost Rory and she's reverted to the character that she would have been without him um, yeah. which I think is, is, a, is a lesser lesser character in my opinion it's a slightly more subtle the same thing that happened to Donna at the end of whichever episode it was when she lost her mind. Was it Journey's End? Yes. Yeah. It was Journey's End. You know, it was very overt and in your face then. You know, she she lost something. Her character lost something because the Doctor was erased. Mm. And I think Amy has clearly lost something that Rory gave her character. Um, yeah. But I don't think it's as overt as Russell T. Davis' script, really. Um, and I, I think, unfortunately, you're right. We are going to see Rory again in the finale because what was the point of the Doctor mentioning him if we weren't going to see him again? And I just think it, the, the shopping list, if you like, for the finale is growing now. We've just added Rory to it, or I have anyway in my mind, along with Daleks and River Song. So I, I just think it, you just need to try and accumulate the elements of the individual episodes that we're going to revisit or see again or expect to be tied up within the last, um, or either the last episode or the last two episodes. Are you really sure the Daleks are coming back at the end yeah. of the series? I will... Ugh, I've already bet um, a ridiculous amount with Tom here, and I don't know how you feel, Tom, but mm. I, I, th- I suspect you would agree with me on this point. But if the Daleks don't come back, then, my goodness, I'll dress up as a character, a female character of your choice at Gallifrey 22, uh, if well, they don't. Well, you, well, you're, you're already doing that when, when it's revealed that you're wrong about the continuity error in Flash yeah. Stone, <laughs> frankly. And I've, I've, I've actually been out and bought some chamois leather because it's going to be Leela that you'll, you'll be dressing up as. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm flattered that you know my size. Well, I just kind of work out <laughs> um, I don't know what you thought about the line if you paint it he will come field of dreams yeah, I was <laughs> yeah. Like, is that is that just a little bit too cheesy or is that clever oh, I don't know I thought it was good I thought it was good I, I smiled immediately got the reference yeah yeah. Um, and, and for me, when I get these references on first viewing, I'm always quite chuffed with myself. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah. then the, the other thing was um, the uh, the scene that was in the trailer uh, where the, where Amy and Van Gogh are standing behind the painting, and he says to her, "Will you follow him?" And she says, "Of course." And mm. for me, the actual context of that scene within the episode was completely different to what I was thinking because mm. um, I thought it was more of a generic him asking. Her the question of will you always follow him, kind of thing. Mm. Um, when it, it was actually just kind of pertinent to that immediate situation, and I was like, well, okay. I thought I, this moment had been vaguely spoiled from the trailer, but no, it was it was completely turned on its head by the context. Mm. Okay, C- can we start pulling this apart a little bit? <laughs> Go ahead, I'd be disappointed Tom. if you didn't. <laughs> good, good. All right, fine, James. I'm glad we agree that the episode was good in general. But I've got to be honest, I was not impressed by the character of the Doctor. It was a strong performance, but the character was odd. To start off with, the Doctor was very shifty. Perhaps he's trying to 
work something out with Amy but the way that he's been trying to make up for the fact that Rory's not there is to me a little bit shifty why doesn't he just tell her but then again I'm not a time lord perhaps he knows something that I don't um, he probably, he probably, of course he does he's a fictional character who's lived a thousand years um, aside from that the uneven moment was his reverence of Van Gogh uh, Van Gogh sorry which was replaced by the way he dismissed him as not being a proper artist while he was in the TARDIS um, mm. the other thing which dis- not disturbed me but concerned me a little was the fact that he was attacking a monster with a stick that's not a very doctory thing to do <laughs> you know, here's, here's something I don't understand give me a pitchfork and I'm going to swing it at it or poke at it to try and shoo it away that's going against my idea of what I understand the Doctor to be. <clears throat> was that not partly his bravado, really, that he was trying to show off to Van Gogh that he could see it um, more than yes. more than kind of him trying to actually beat it up with a stick? To comfort Vincent that he was not insane. Mm. Yeah, but if I agree with that, then there's still something wrong because the, the old man was hit by the creature's tail in some way, so he knew it was actually there, which mm. surely would be enough recourse for, for what I understand of the Doctor to go like, right, hang on a minute, where is it? What, what, what's, go, what's going on here or at least get everyone away from the source of immediate danger or try and contain the others as opposed to let me attack the monster with a stick which is not what I understand the Doctor to be it may be within this Doctor characterisation and I'm not, I'm not actually disagreeing with you on, on that particular point it's not something I'd given any thought prior to recording mm. However, if you remember in Victory of the Daleks mm. you know, we, we, we all said at the time oh it's unusual for the Doctor however frustrated he feels to get a monkey wrench and start bashing something yeah you know because it is an overtly violent reaction to something mm, yes. um i didn't get the same feeling this time round. it was more of a i think it was more of a comic effect to be yeah. honest with you let's get a doctor with a big large pole waving at something that he can't see mm-hmm. and i have to admit i didn't give it any more thought than that but mm. i don't completely disagree with you there mm. The other two points you make, I think the shifty and dismissive kind of attitudes that the Doctor had at the opening scenes, Mm. I think was noticed by Amy. I think there was a line of dialogue, if my memory is not failing too much, saying, you're being very nice to me, aren't you, Doctor? Or something along Mm. those lines. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm joking, Um, why aren't you? Yes, exactly. That was it, yeah, Yeah, well done. Um, I, I, I think that was addressed there, and... This is a major thing that is on a doctor's mind that he still hasn't figured out yet. He knows people, people who he and Amy have known, have been wiped from existence. Mm. And yet he's still now dealing with this monster in a picture, which is pretty much a diversion for the doctor, I think. Because yeah. the, main, the main thing on his mind, as we know, is, is that he needs to get this story arc problem resolved and you can't continually have people being removed from history interesting that there was no crack in this particular episode and i'm very glad that there wasn't because Mm. i think it would have been massively out of place fair play it just just wouldn't have felt right this is the first time that i'm aware that doctor who has tried to tackle something that he's, well, put it this way, he's tried to tackle a subject that the BBC felt necessary to put a helpline number on over the end credits about. I mean, you get that with every single episode of EastEnders because normally the viewers are so traumatised by watching it. Mm. Um, you know, it's they need to cover themselves that way. Doctor yeah. Who has never done that before. 
Um, and I think it almost is incongruous with the more overt sci-fi elements of Doctor Who. It's, it's, you know, it's interesting you say that. I mean, my first reaction was, because my mind works like that, was to think, yes, I have recently been dragged off through time and space by a madman in a blue box. I need to talk to somebody about this. Um, but, uh, but the reality of it was, and, and this is, I think, the, you know, the, my, one of my major points around this particular episode anyway, is the incredibly sympathetic, and useful and honest and open description of bipolar disorder and depression. To see Vincent swinging from mania uh, around, mm. the, around the fireside about the beauty of colours and how they scream at him, they, they challenge him to come and capture them, to the utter despair with realising that, that he couldn't face the world at one point, um, mm-hmm. as the doctor saying, let's go. That's an incredibly important thing. It's very brave. It was very, it was very well written. Um, and and yeah. again, you know, further evidence of how how incredibly powerful this story is if there are six and ten year olds watching this story and 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 beginning to get a feel for what depression is because it may be that someone in their environment behaves in this way and they don't understand why if it's if it's giving them a way into it that's absolutely brilliant i mean last week it was um opening up the doors of dyslexia and trying to increase the understanding of that this week a little bit about the, the the terror of depression um, I, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't know what, what I don't know what your feeling about history uh, feelings about history are, but Winston Churchill used to talk about being plagued by a black dog, and that was his depression that was constantly following him everywhere, and he had to deal with it that no one else could see. And then with um, Van Gogh, we have the this giant alien chicken creature which he has to deal with that no one else can see. Um, mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting that historically the people who used to live around him called him. I mean, perhaps you already know this. They used to call him the Fourou. Um, the red-headed madman. Um, and immediately I thought, ooh, that could be Amy, really, couldn't it? A red-headed madwoman. Yeah. Um, the, the, the final thing I'll, I'll, I'll lay out, lay on the table for you to maybe, for maybe discussion is that, fair enough, as far as we are concerned as viewers, Vincent's uh, genius and, uh, and madness and depression was made very, very clear to us. But it was interesting to see the Doctor's depression laid out for us as well, uh, as it had been previously in Amy's Choice, uh, and also Amy's depression laid out for us as well, uh, only in a very subtle way. You know, again, I've got to be very careful because, you know, there'll be people who, who are listening to this who have suffered with depression and had it touch their lives, and I don't even know, perhaps you two have, have experience of it as well. But I loved Amy's little line to Vincent when he says, well, you've lost someone, and she says, no, I haven't. And said, "Well, why are you crying?" And she said, oh, "I don't know." Mm. Um, which, which is for you know, for some of my experience of depression, you'll say to people, well, "Why are you crying?" And the depressed person will say, "I don't know. I don't know why I'm upset. I can't explain. I can't articulate it." Mm. Um, and then, mm. then similarly, you have the doctor all the way through Amy's choice. Well, there was his depression looking him right in the face. So yes, that, that's as much as I think I should say about this because I'm suddenly aware that mm. all I've heard for the last two minutes is my own voice. <laughs> no, 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 that's that's fine. Yeah. It means that we don't have to talk, and uh, it also means that yes, we have now touched with depression because we've listened to you for so long. No, I'm only kidding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I do think you're right. But I want I want to bring it back up a little bit <laughs> again, yeah. if we can. Sure. Um, I think this series has seen Doctor Who tackle subjects that have previously been either off limits or they've never gone anywhere near. And I think you're mm. right with dyslexia. I think they also tried to attempt some kind of semi-serious version of wartime events uh, within. Victory of the Daleks in a very very different way they did in uh, series one Empty Child mm-hmm. um, and this time they've gone you know the furthest they've ever been to actually say and this is the major kind of question mark I would like to throw up to you too really oh. is should they actually be using something as serious and as terrible as depression 
and say, well, we know Vincent van Gogh suffered from it. Mm-hmm. And the reason why he suffered for it was because he was actually plagued by aliens and he looked at things in different ways and used that in a very sci-fi way to drive a story forward. I mean, is, is that irresponsible? Is it responsible? And I'm being devil's advocate here. I don't fall on either side. Well, I, I, I think for me that the, the, the poignancy of it came in the, the, the bit where they go back to the gallery at the end and Amy's like, I know that time can be rewritten. We've given Vincent this this amazing picture. He's going to live and he's going to paint all these paintings. And the doctor's like, I, I don't think so. Obviously having more experience of, of these kind of things and, and realising that in spite of everything that they've done, Van Gogh will still take his life. Uh, and I think that for me was, was the important part. Um, Interesting, actually. Is that, is, is, and, is that going back to Waters of Mars? You can rewrite it, but things that are meant to happen, happen. Well, I, I don't know. I mean, they didn't really stress the whole fixed point in time thing here, but I mean, it, it was obvious that they couldn't rewrite it mm. in that way. I mean, it, that would have been, I, I, that would, I think that would have been terrible. I think it, it, this was more the first Doctor kind of, you can't rewrite history, yeah. <laughs> even though obviously they did it slightly with the paintings. But I mean, I, I think that for me w- was what validated the whole thing, um, was that in spite of all this fantastical stuff, we know that after this story, his depression continues. He's not suddenly cured by a going on a trip in the TARDIS, mm. uh, and that it eventually causes him to to take his own life. Tom, it's ironic that you were saying, Tom. Maybe you have first-hand experience. My my aunt has suffered from depression for the last ooh, twenty years, mm. um, and it's 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 very difficult to. Um, to see someone that you know and love kind of go through that and oh. I, I, to be honest I only really see one half of that because she's only really fit to kind of travel and see the family when she's kind of on a high as it were and so I see the manic side of, of her depression oh. um, and that is equally difficult to cope with as the despairing side oh. but um, to be honest I wasn't struck by the whole depression angle as much as you may, may have been because I was I've experienced what what a real person going through that is like, and I I, I didn't necessarily see that in the portrayal by Tony Curran. But but again, every person is different in the way that they react and respond to it. Um, I, I don't think it was just depression that they were depicting. It was I mean that was certainly part of it, and it's certainly been well documented that Vincent suffered from depression. But it was also other areas and or other ailments, and, mm. and, and people don't know, and they never will know precisely what that was. And mm. I think what this episode did was to try and tackle that and say, well, it could have been this, mm. yeah, um, you know, and you know, yeah. not a large chicken, but um, you know, it could have been, you know, a, a variety of other things that impacted the way that he thought, mm. uh, which clearly had a major impact on the way that he painted and the way yeah. that he expressed himself. Yeah. And and on the whole, I I think it was done fairly responsibly yeah I, I think it was done fairly responsibly I, I think it was the right thing to do I think it's a, I think it's a, a huge story to tell I, I have to admit I come to this with a little bit of background about Van Gogh to be honest in fact there's a quote from him which reads sometimes there are moods of indescribable anguish and sometimes moments when the veil of time and the fatality of circumstance seem to be torn apart for an instant which again maybe I'm overanalyzing it but that seems to me to be a description of a trip in the TARDIS I know it didn't really happen but I, lo- <laughs> but, but I like the way that which occurred just may may well have been aware of that, and it fits in beautifully mm. with the characterisation that's put across by uh, T- Tony Curran. Um, mm. I think it was a very a, a sensitive portrayal of this really quite terrible ailment, and I think mm. if you take it literally, I 
oh, Vincent Van Gogh was, was menaced by a giant space chicken, then okay, it's it's possible to say, well, that's completely ir- irreverent and doesn't take mm. and, and doesn't take anything seriously. But the idea is, it's a story. The the giant space chicken represents something which is actually very important. Um, and it's interesting to see that with some of the shots, we don't see the giant space chicken. We just see his reaction to it. Mm. Um, Tom, can you please stop saying giant space chicken? It's making me laugh. Sorry. <laughs> Inappropriate moment in time. <laughs> right. I, 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 um, no, actually, carry on. It's funny. Um, <laughs> I think the importance of this is to drive home to people, to to anyone, to the audience, that the world, that every every individual sees thing, things in a slightly different way. One of the best mm. speeches in it was uh, Doctor Black's speech about how Van Gogh transformed his mm. pain into something which illuminated the lives of everybody who came across his work. That's really mm. important because not only does it say to, to an audience, perhaps recognise that depression is in the world and, and try and be a little bit more sympathetic towards it. It might say to people who are depressed, without fear of trying to foster any delusion, that it's possible to use this energy and transform it into something which is transformative for you and for those around mm. you as opposed to being destructive. Um, yeah. I loved Bill Nye's little soliloquy about that at the very end, because again, that's Doctor Who doing what it's supposed to do, i.e. sowing the seeds of hope. I loved the look of the production. I thought this it was it was gorgeous. Some of the some of the shots were obviously homage to uh, some of the paintings as well, the bedroom at Arles mm. and so on and so forth. Um, I, I love the lighting of it. I love the shooting of it. And there's that gorgeous, truly gorgeous shot of Karen sat in the courtyard with the sunflowers. It looked yep. absolutely beautiful. So some I, I don't know what sort of awards get given for that, but surely that's got to put it in line for something. Yeah, who who directed this? It was Johnny Campbell, wasn't yeah. it? I think yeah, right. and he's done one other one as well. I seem to he, remember. He did. He did the other one uh, set in Croatia. Well, that seen. would make sense, yeah. I suppose. Yeah, but 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 both of them looked yeah. brilliant, and yeah. I, I really enjoyed certainly the shots, the unique shots in both episodes. And I know that he had the opportunity. Um, that the other directors didn't because it was such a different location um, yeah. to, I mean, to, to I, actually you know, bring some brilliant shots around but I thoroughly appreciated that too Yeah, I, I think just, just thinking back to the classic series uh, foreign shoots as well mm. I mean City of Death mm. looks brilliant because it's set in Paris mm. um, Lanzarote looks absolutely amazing in Planet of Fire and then Seville in The Two Doctors I mean yeah. th- there is something about and there always has been about Doctor Who going overseas that gives whatever episode that we're in a special look mm. um, if only we'd actually got to see Tokyo in the same way John Nathan Turner and Gary Downey yeah exactly <laughs> envisaged. Yeah. that would have been fantastic yeah, <laughs> but um, but yeah no, I agree it did look really really good Tom you mentioned the final scene with Bill Nye where they were looking at all of the works of art on the wall yes. and if you remember back to the very beginning of the episode as well you had a kind of very short version of that scene and there was one particular picture that I think it was Bill and I said well this was the doctor who looked after Vincent van Gogh in his final days and it was a very quick shot of this particular picture and to me I just thought oh is that John Pertwee (laughs) (laughs) that's good that's good I'm not sure I think it was one of the children that said oh that's the doctor which made the doctor turn around and pay attention Um, Mm. the the, the only thing I can say about pictures of the doctor is I wonder if uh, Stephen Moffat's team have just got the one publicity photo of William Hartnell because that's that's the same (laughs) shot yet again same one again do you know I hadn't noticed that and you're absolutely right (laughs) 
it's good. I have some friends, um, and their six-year-old daughter really loved David Tennant's version of Doctor Who, but this version of it scares her because it's a little bit, actually frighteningly a bit scarier. It's interesting that you've mentioned classic series Doctor Who. There's definitely shades of um, uh, The Nightmare of Eden in this, uh, what with uh, monsters coming out of pictures. I also I also got a slight feel of Tooth and Claw. I don't know if you, I don't know if you got that. Only from the growling. The growling. Okay, yeah, the, the, well, there's the, there's the growling, the unseen monster, the references to future events, um, like the Doctor's mm. qu- saying quite quietly, it's a very starry night out there, isn't it? And mm. so on and so forth. But that was gorgeous too, to get a feel for the way Vincent might have seen the stars. How mm. beautiful was that? Amazing. Yeah, that, was, that, that was good. What did confuse me a little bit is why they decided to kind of lie on the floor in that particular formation and then hold hands. Mm. Now, I, mean, I don't know about the pair of you, but I mean, I have been out walking in the countryside looking at the sky sometimes, but nothing has possessed me to say, well, let's lie on the floor in some dirt and put our heads together, hold hands and watch the sky. Now, am I just being incredibly unromantic because that thought hasn't ever occurred to me? Yes. Or was it a bit odd? Um, <laughs> it, it was a little odd um, I mean the shape that they made did look very much like the site on a Gallifrey and Staser um, oh Luke you're priceless that's brilliant <laughs> not even I could have done that that's fantastic that's brilliant um, but, but yeah it was a little strange <laughs> one final thing which, which occurred to me as well um, Amy has very clearly forgotten Rory because she's sat there flirting with Vincent van Gogh and yes. until, right until, up until the point where the Doctor steps in and stops it. And it's also interesting that, and again, this is a little bit of background stuff, I don't know if it's relevant or not, but uh, van Gogh never had children. And it's clear that he has a thing for Amy, possibly one thing several times. And he talks about, we should have children, we should have dozens of children, because he never did. And he always spoke about his paintings being his children. I think this will probably only come out with, with a repeated watching, because I know I say it every week, but there are layers to this. These people are not lazy. There's, there is subtlety. And mm. that's something I wanted to say earlier on as well. There is a, a very dynamic shift in the way that Doctor Who as a story is being told, where it was very overt and there's lots of exposition in the RTD era, which I loved. Um, I loved I loved Scooby Who. I loved the cartoon of it. This is a lot darker. This is a lot more. This is giving. This is treating you with a lot more care and crediting you with more mm. intelligence. I know Trev doesn't agree about this. I was just about to say. Now, Trev, when you're listening to this, I mean, you're you're going to be cursing and saying, James, Luke, why didn't you interrupt him here? <laughs> because um, because you know that I'm right. That's why. I, I I don't disagree with you as much as Trev does. I mean, I do think we're going to have to call you the Onion Man because you're obsessed with layers <laughs> and. I, I think some layers are there, mm. and I, I think that's right, but we're only going to be able to know for certain how many layers Mr Moffat has decided to include mm. at the end of the series, so we'll wait and see. I think you're right. I think what's important is that we have an incredibly fun time in the meantime oh, yeah. trying to analyse these potential layers, and I think we're doing just that. <laughs> Cybermen in this series? Yeah. <laughs> well, they're in the trailer. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, are they? Are they? Is it just not a head? No, no, no. There's there's a whole troop of them. Um, oh, I must have missed that then. The, okay. I mean, this is the reason that I'm really hoping the Daleks don't turn up in the finale mm. because there's only one story that the, the Cybermen can be in now because it's, it's they're not going to be in next week's one because there's obviously no. I don't know what that is, but mm. it must be the finale. Yes. Um, and so if we've got Cybermen and Daleks in a finale again. 
Um, I re- I just really hope it doesn't happen. I think from what we can expect, we're going to see possibly Cybermen and definitely Daleks. I- I've got absolutely no question of that. This is the one that's going to be set at Stonehenge. I also think there's Roman legionaries in it as yep. well. Um, so I, I just wonder whether or not we're going to be seeing anything from the last series or the last couple of series or anything from the Russell T. Davis era thrown in as well. Uh, we know Stephen Moffat has requested permission to use something that RTD created. And that would make sense for it to appear in the finale, mm. as far as I can see. Mm. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a couple of, I don't know, Slovene or Jadoon or something that are very RTD created as well. We'll just have to, to wait and see. You tripped something there as well, actually. Isn't next week thought the episode where some some ridiculous alien from the classic series shows up? Oh, I haven't I heard. I haven't heard. Don't who it is. know. I don't think so. It's based on a comic strip that that's right. um, Gareth Roberts wrote, which I haven't read. So I, all all I know is there's there's something in the attic or whatever it is hmm. uh, in this house. But that's all we can really gather from the trailer. I'm not sure which episode it is, but it's got, clearly it's got to be one of the last three. But there was talk of an alien from the classic series that was widely regarded as a joke when it was first uh, shown that turns up at some point at the end of this series. And I wonder if it might be next week. Because you've got James oh, Corden, right. and he's just a stand-up comic anyway, isn't he? <laughs> he is, yeah. Well, I'm, we're going to have to wait now. <laughs> Lots of speculation, and I think that's a perfect way to end our analysis of Vincent and the Doctor for this week. Right, so having spoken about Vincent and the Doctor, we have some incredible exclusive news about a new publication from Mad Norwegian Press. Now, listeners to the DWP will remember that when we spoke to Toby Haydoke some weeks ago, he mentioned a project that he was undertaking with Rob Shearman. And again in the Rob Shearman interview, there was a slight mention of a project that he was working on with Toby Haydoke. Um, we're very pleased and proud to announce that the new book, or the first of a trilogy of books called Running Through Corridors, will be published by the Mad Norwegian Press. Now, what's happened here is these two luminaries of the Doctor Who universe have sat down and written a very light-hearted and very positive analysis of the show since year dot right up until the end of the recent series. So what you have are writers of proven skill and humour tackling our favourite TV show. Um, so I must say th- a big thank you to Lazo from the Mad Norwegian Press for giving us that particular exclusive. Uh, and over the coming weeks, we'll be featuring more information about this rather wonderful book by these two very very talented men chaps have you had a chance to look at any of the press releases around this yet i I really like the basic premise of the way this project has been considered and thought out and applied now toby and rob have watched two episodes of classic doctor who a day for is it about 12 months Mm. it was about a year wasn't it all through the gap here yeah and they've been chronicling their experiences of doing just that. Now, that's something that most Doctor Who fans, depending on how much time they have <laughs> at their disposal, uh, would either like to do or probably has done. But to get such people like Toby Hadoke and Rob Shearman, who are so incredibly eloquent and incredibly gifted in terms of communicating, uh, either through the written words or through just talking, um, I, it's something that I am incredibly excited about. And when, when I heard this from uh, from Mad Norwegian Press, I thought fantastic because they've got a track record of writing books or producing books that are incredibly in tune with fandom and they know what fandom likes, they know what fandom wants. So 
as far as I'm concerned, it's a mixture of one of the best publishers uh, on the Doctor Who market mixed with two exceptional writers. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I, I guess people will be wanting to know um, how and when they can get hold of it, really. The first volume, the 60s, is officially released on December the 14th this year. But if you are lucky enough to be in Chicago for Chicago TARDIS at the end of November, you'll be able to get it there. And it's also available for pre-order online in a week or two. So hopefully we'll have news of that and where you can go shortly and so you can get hold of um, this brilliant series. Yeah, agreed. I've got to be honest, we seem to be being quite spoilt this year for amazing books about Doctor Who. I mean, I'm holding here also a book called The Mythological Dimensions of Doctor Who, which is uh, a quite interesting tome that we'll maybe talk about in a future episode. We've also got the output of Hearst books with the amazing stuff by Colin Baker and Annika Wills. But I've got to be honest, I tend to live out of the About Time books, which if you've not tried them, and I know Trevor says this on a regular basis as well, if you've not tried the About Time books from Mad Norwegian Press, do give them a look because they are really quite amazing pieces of work and now we've got as we're saying Rob Shearman and Toby Haydoke producing a very loving tribute to the show and as I say if you've ever listened to any of Toby's work uh, if you've not heard Moth's Ate My Doctor Who Scarf I can't recommend it highly enough and of course Rob Shearman well we all know Rob Shearman because he gave us Dalek and uh, from the Big Finish range wonderful stories like Jubilee so yeah it's a good time to be a Doctor Who fan. We've been terribly spoiled. Wonderful episodes on TV. Amazing, amazing follow-up material coming through the press as well. Fantastic. Just one more thing. Uh, I have a friend who has a friend who works at BBC Cardiff, and he's just told me yesterday that the BBC have recently invested in four 3D film cameras or TV cameras, and I'm not quite sure, but they're planning to film some Doctor Who in 3D um, for release in the cinema at some point in the next few years. I don't know who's going to be the Doctor, I don't know who's going to be in it, I don't know how long it's going to be, um, but you'd think with the BBC investing that 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 much money in, in, in that kind of tech, that they're really exploring this 3D technology, uh, whether, whether that is for good or ill. That's brilliant. Wow, you heard it here first on the Doctor Who podcast. Brilliant. And I think on that note, after quite a packed and very enjoyable podcast, we should maybe wrap it up here uh, and then prepare for the fan reaction episode later on in the week. So I think all that really remains is to say, Luke, thank you so much for joining us again. Always a pleasure to have you here. It's a pleasure to join you in the camper van. It, it, it's nice to know that some people are dedicated enough to get up and record uh, a podcast, unlike some members of the fraternity who may or may not be in Brisbane drunk on white wine, not doing any work. Um, and James, of course, always a pleasure to have you with us in the caravan. Yes, wonderful to be here, and great to speak to you, Luke, as well. So thanks very much indeed for joining us. Fabulous. Look, thanks, thanks both. Thank you to you, of course, for tuning in and downloading the podcast. Trev, miss you loads. Looking forward to seeing you next week. I hope you enjoy your holiday. And for everybody else, take it easy, KBO, and we'll see you very, very soon. Bye for now. Ta-ra. Bye. That was the Doctor Who Podcast, which you can find at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. If you have any feedback, please send it into feedback at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and via the Doctor Who Podcast forums. Thank you for listening. Take care. <laughs>